like that song um but you know this was you know i mean it was cool it was a goofy song it was a fun song and all that but you know he was he's a big american i don't know fighting guy tough guy fight fighting in the bar guy yeah yeah you know he's not the hey look i want to talk about me <laughs> you know how's he doing i know he was sick yeah he uh it seems that the cancer is uh gone from last year oh, uh yeah he's recovering from it so Things look okay. He made a statement the other week. I'd have to. I didn't read it, but uh, everything seems to be okay right now for him. Ah, uh, good, good for him. Oh, you know, what I was going to talk about was I'll ask um, me. Yeah, I'm going to talk <laughs> about me. I'll ask Adam Hill about this. You like boxing? No, no, it just wasn't really part. Yeah. It's not. It just wasn't part of what I grew up with or around. It was always on pay per view, and I never had the money to watch it or was around people to watch. It's not that. It wasn't something that I did watch. Yeah, well, it used to be when I was growing up, it was on HBO, and we always had HBO or Showtime. Yeah, and I, I didn't have either of those growing up. So. Yeah. Um, I used to love boxing. I was huge into boxing, and we, you know, I covered a lot You know, with Irvin Joe. We've got a lot of fights, but I considered myself to be a, you know, a boxing journalist, and we went to a lot of fights. And um, so I used to be, you know, a journalist, um, boxing journalist, and... I'd covered Oscar De La Hoya. You know, we had had him on a couple times. I'd been around him. And so I knew quite a bit about Oscar De La Hoya. There is a documentary out now. I think it's called The Golden Boy. Were you okay. sniffing your own armpit? No, no. I, I was I was wiping. You're still my boxers, dude? <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? I had to wipe my... I had a little bit of spittle. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. So anyway, there's a um, there's a documentary out. It may be, it's on HBO actually, which is weird because they're out of the boxing game, called The Golden Boy. And he's in it. But you know how these things go, which is generally they produce, it's like the last dance, right, with Michael Jordan or the Lance Armstrong ones. It doesn't mean they're not entertaining, but a lot of them, it's a ton of spin, right? It's all his right. PR. It's, it's their narrative, it's their PR. There's some good stuff in there. But you're like, eh, it's their side of the story, right? And you take it for what it's worth because it's so much spin. But, okay, so that's what I'm expecting this to be because he's in it. Why would he be in it if it wasn't just his spin, right? So I, it, this was actually a two-part deal, like probably like a four-hour deal. Well, I just hit record of part two, so it wasn't even the whole part. So I'm watching this thing this week. And I'm like, huh. And it's got like his... Basically, both. Two, well, I, I don't know if he was married to the first one, but he's got like his first mama, baby, baby mama, which I don't think he was married to. But 
you know, you know, he liked the ladies. Oh, old Oscar liked the ladies. And, you know, he wasn't exactly faithful. And uh, he had a lot of children, or he had several children, um, you know, with women that he wasn't in the relationships with. And then he would have another, you know, get with another lady and this and that. And so he's got all these women in there. And he had, you know, his, uh, I guess you would call her his muse. You know, like there's like a Russian stripper. Okay. <laughs> you know, so he's got all this stuff in there and he's talking about it. And he's talking about the cocaine and the alcohol. He's talking about all this stuff. All the partying. Yeah. And, and he's got all these women in there. Like, like you know, the stuff Tiger's not going to talk about. Like, cause he, it's basically the same stuff as Tiger Woods does, but Tiger, you know, covers up. Well, you know, Oscar at the time had people that covered it up, but now he's just talking about it. And, you know, it, it's kind of like um, what I'm expecting is like, like all the, it's kind of similar to the wrestling documentaries, right? Where they talk about, yeah, it was hard and I wasn't home and the kids didn't like me and I had bad relationships, but, you know, I was doing everything it took to be the best. And at the end, they all, it's always some story of redemption. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And come now my kids, circle. yeah, my kids like, yeah, come full circle. So that's what I'm expecting, how this, expecting this thing to end. Because he's in it. Yeah. And he, and he's prom, you know, he's basically talking about, yeah, I was a bad guy. I was a bad, you know. And it never happens. Like, he's got, like, the current head of Golden Boy, Eric Gomez on there. His current, you know, his brother, his kids talking about what a scumbag he is and they're like yeah you know like you just keep putting up with it and because you, you know because he's the golden boy and you hope that it's gonna one day it's gonna be good but you know it's not he's just gonna let you down like, like he's just gonna let you down again and you're like holy smokes <laughs> and this is his documentary that he's a part of he's a part of it and so you're like, well, wh- how is he allowing this? Maybe he just doesn't care. Yeah, at this point, he doesn't care. And he's like, he's he's doing the same thing. He's not even, like, trying to mitigate it at the end. He's just like, yeah, my life is what it is. All of my relationships suck. I'm just, you know, my past is my past. I can't get, it, it, it's, it, was, it was kind of refreshing. You know, I, I can see that as being refreshing. And even going back to last week, we talked to Chad, who was at the amateur, how he said that the one golfer he was cheering for didn't quite fit the mold, and you brought up Tiger Woods. Like, boxing, it's kind of cool or sexy or wrestling to have all those other things going on, the partying and everything like that, the multiple women. But then you go to a sport like golf, and you're just like, oh, yeah, no, button down, mm-hmm. like family, kids, you know, picture perfect, picket fence. But then, like I said, when you, when you think about this documentary, maybe that's just he he wanted to really tell us what his life was like. Like you said, refreshing. Like it's a real story, right? Well, so not everybody is the good guy at the end. Not everybody you know can become the hero. Yeah. Well, so I looked. He wasn't. This was not his film. So, like, because you can check, you can say, well, was he an executive producer? He wasn't. Oh, okay. He just said, yeah, I'll be in this thing. And they were like, dude, we're going to be honest. And he allowed all of. He said, I don't care who you talk to. Talk to my ex-wife. Talk to talk to my kids. Talk to the guy that's running my company now. Because he started Golden Boy Promotions, which for a while was the most dominant promotion of company. And then he went on his coke benders. And, you know, because I don't know if you remember, like, he, he wound up with this Russian stripper. And, like, he was in fishnet stockings and, you know, doing cosplay. And he didn't even remember it. 
And he's talking about that in the documentary. He's like, oh, man, those photos came out. And I was like, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I don't remember that. All I can uh, all I can think of when he said fishnet stockings is, oh, man, the NBA announcer who got caught in women's. Yeah, Marv Albert. Yeah. Marv Albert. Yeah. So, I don't remember when that blew up. I yeah. So the same thing happened to him. Like, he's, the, he's like the champion, boxing champion of the world. And he's dressed up like a woman, you know, and he's got boxing gloves on. You know, the photos are funny. And now this woman's in there talking about, she's like, well, we were just working through stuff. It was like, um, I was, I was, I was telling him to do it so he could work through his repressed feminine side. Like she's talking about this in the documentary, you know? And he's like, yeah, I don't remember it. Like, but yeah, they were real. We did it. I don't know. So I, it, it was fascinating. You don't see stuff like that all the time, you know, and. You, speaking of documentaries, since we've been on this, another great one that I just, uh, well, what didn't Jesse, but was The Stand, the Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf one. Yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to catch that one, but you mentioned Ur, Ur being on with Irvin Joe, mm. and I know they had a big part in what was going on there, and they have a big part in that documentary, too. Yeah, so Joe, I've talked to Joe about it. Joe hasn't seen it yet, because he doesn't have showtime. Okay. But so apparently, yeah, uh, I, I didn't realize that Joe started that whole. Yeah, I didn't either until it was in there. Yeah, so so Irvin Joe, J- Joe was the first one to notice. He, he came in the next day. He's like, Irv, Mahmoud's not standing for the anthem. And it you know, touched off a whole firestorm. So I guess I'm going to – and I, I reached out to um, the Nuggets old PR guy. I said, hey, can we get a press copy of this? Because Joe hasn't even seen it. I'd like to see it. And then I guess they just wouldn't give us one. Um, so I do want to see that because I guess there's a lot of footage – from like Les Shapiro, and uh, they talked to a lot of the old media people. I think Scott Hastings is in it. Yep. Uh, so you've seen it? It's Yeah, it's phenomenal, and it's really a story of, I mean, even some of that redemption, but also all of the tough times that he had to go through and things like that after that happened and how when it was first noticed, it was actually part of the way through the season, and he had been doing it the whole time. And there's differing views and opinions on on how his beliefs affected everything and how he is transformed with everything too. Yeah. But it was it was a really good documentary. I thought it was really truthful too. I mean there were some hard things in there that he talked about, but I thought it was phenomenal. How did Joe come off? Uh I, I think the big part was that he came off as kind of the villain who started it, but also that he was just the first one to real see it, like to recognize what was happening. And that's what started the whole, you know, trend. So I, I don't want to say that he came off bad, but it was just that he was the one who, who started because he saw it and spoke about it. He spoke about what he was seeing at the games. Yeah. And so that's kind of what started the firestorm. But then it turns into more of how the NBA was the bad guy, the big bad guy who uh. kind of black blacklisted him as far as playing. Um, but he's still playing. Uh, he was overseas playing last uh, one of the last times, and then he had uh, started a another uh, organization or been part of another organization. Yeah, I had seen him in that uh, old timer league. Yeah, the, the like three, the big three, three on three, big three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to love watching him play, man. Like he was just weird because, like, when he played here, and I was a kid, um, like he could go off for fifty, and then he just would kind of disappear the next night. Um, and, you know, he was a part of the run. You know, the, my fondest memories as a Nugget fan was, you know, was, but unfortunately he kind of took, he, he didn't take a backseat, but his backup, Robert Pack, 
was sparked would come into the game and and play meaningful minutes. Um, because for him it was a it was weird because he was really he was a really good ball handler, but he was a tremendous shooter, right? He was an undersized guy, quick, but could just shoot the lights out. But he would also get streaky scoring. Um, but I just love watching him. But he he wasn't as consistent um, as he really needed him to be because they really because he was so small. They wanted him to be the point guard, but he really probably should have just been a shooter. And they talk about that how even even some players currently like Steph Curry is in there talk about how he really saw him playing and shooting and how he was one of the best shooters, but he would go through those streaks and some of that had to do with his Tourette's uh, that yeah. he had to deal with. Yeah. Um, going back and forth and finding that, but he was always miscast in a lot of things and he would put on weight, lose weight, yep. and going through a lot of his religious stuff. It would uh, it would affect his seasons. And the medicine, and affected, too. Yeah, and it affected where he got drafted, too. Um, it was, like I said, it was a really it, very introspective journey and to see where he's at and see how his faith played everything, but also just how he evolved as a player and going through it. But you mentioned that, I mean, those those Nuggets teams with, like, Matumbo and everything, too. Yeah. They, they were fun. Yeah, they were. Um, all right, coming up next, I want to check in Las Vegas. Josh Jacobs, sadly, for Broncos fans, will be in uniform, ready to go, assuming for week one against the Denver Broncos. We'll check in with our, our good friend Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and ESPN Radio's um, Las Vegas. Coming up next. We got to the hotline, our old friend Adam Hill in Las Vegas. How are you, Mr. Hill? I am good. Are you referring to Las Vegas as Paradise City? I believe our friend behind the glass, Colin Zanker, is. I was thinking just that. I'm like, he must think it's Paradise City. What do you think, Adam? Uh, I do think it's it's great. Uh, not my favorite genre of music. Uh, I would also say uh, today is Bay Day, Dan. What does that mean? Uh, Beyonce is here tonight. Oh, Wow, are you yeah. are you going? No, definitely not. Why not? Uh, but she is here, sharing a stadium uh, with the Raiders for the next couple of days while they are away at Dallas. It's a, it's a big day here in Las Vegas. Well, why aren't you going? Uh, I'm trying to save up. If you knew the prices for Drake and Twenty One Savage next week, uh, it is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So that's what I'm saving my money for. Don't you get into everything for free? You're Adam Hill. It's your town. Look, knowing what these cost, I might have to actually pull some strings on this one. Uh, it is wild. Get in price. You want to you take a guess at the get in price for Drake and 21 Savage next week? The, the nosebleeds on the secondary market? Uh, well, I'll just tell you this. It, um, Taylor Swift was here a few, uh, a month or a little over a month ago, um, and people were paying minimum. Fifteen hundo for nosebleeds at a football stadium. Yeah, yeah. 
That's something I said. Well, uh, yeah, Drake, Drake at 21 Savage as of last night. It might have, hopefully it's gone down today. I'm still looking, but it was about 975 for, yeah. for nosebleeds. Mm. Uh, who was, uh, who was it you remember you were hanging out with the bottle service uh, a couple years back? <laughs> who was that? <laughs> sure. Some people. I uh, you know, we Oh, was that private? Was that private? When we were talking about that on your show? I forgot. No, it's fine. It's fine. I don't remember. You don't remember? I think we did on the, we did on the late night happy hour, uh, which was a little bit different. We were oh. a little looser with all the involved. Oh, but. okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Hey, I was, we were just talking about this. So before we, because I want to get you on, obviously, uh, we do face the Raiders. The Broncos do face the Raiders in week one, but, and Josh Jacobs will be there. We just found out. However, um, you also fought, you have covered the fight game, covered a lot of boxing, and I watched. I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen the Oscar De La Hoya documentary? I've seen parts of it. I've not watched it all the way through yet. It is on my list. Unlike Swamp Kings, which I refuse to watch, <laughs> uh, and the and the Johnny Manziel documentary, which I thought was horrific. Uh, I do want to watch the Oscar one. Okay, so here, uh, let me get your thoughts on 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 this. Um, even though you haven't finished it, what I was struck by was um, most of these documentaries, they're done by the people themselves, their executive producers, and it's a, a spin job, right? Like, they're doing PR, and it's it's kind of like, okay, they may put some things out that are unflattering, but then it's always a redemption at the end. Like, but now it's good. Now I'm a good dad, and now I'm all... I wasn't good during the time because I was, you know, doing what I had to do to be the best, but now everything's good, right? Um, sure. I was waiting for that to happen because he's got like his ex-girlfriend that he, you know, did bad things to and his ex-wife and his kids that he, you know, was not a father to everybody that he's screwed over. Not everybody, but a bunch of people that he's screwed over in his life um, are all in there and they're all saying what a scumbag he is. And even people that are running his companies now and his brother, like they're all like, yeah, he sucks. He's always going to be that way. We hate we hate it. Um, they're all crapping on him, and then there's no payoff. And even himself, he's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, wow, I've never seen a documentary that ends that way. And uh, so I was, all, I don't know if refreshing is, is the word, but I just le- I was left kind of going, huh, wow. Okay. I, don't know, I don't know how I feel about him now. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch that. Uh, I will tell you, are you referring to documentaries like, the Florida Gators documentary, Swamp Kings, which essentially says they were a good team that won a bunch of games. <laughs> right. Well, Nothing like, to see here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Aaron, yeah, no Aaron Hernandez or, you know, Urban yeah. Meyer. Or, yeah. Well, what I'm thinking of is like, uh, you know, all the wrestling documentaries, for example, where it's like, oh, well, I, I was a bad dad, but I, I did what I had to do to be the champion. And I did a lot of drugs and alcohol, but now I'm all better. I don't do that anymore. And now I get along with my kids. Right. Like, you know, it's always like that. You know, there's always a formula um, or, you know, Michael Jordan's documentary where, you know, he says, oh, I was, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, you know, like Oscar's yeah, like. I, I get you. And I'll say the, the Johnny Manziel one didn't really follow a formula either. It was very weird. There was there was no redemption arc. There was no, like, there was really no details. I mean, you think it was like, yeah, he made a lot of great plays and he flamed out in the NFL. He didn't watch tape. Like, here you go. <laughs> uh, still still drinking, still not doing anything about his life, I guess, in the uh, it was a very weird one. Um, it was cool to watch all the old highlights of, uh, of Johnny football, but yeah, there was, there was not a whole lot of, uh, of depth there. And there was things like, Oh, he went to Vegas on a, by the way, one of the wildest weekends uh, of stories that I've ever heard 
was the Johnny Manziel weekend in Vegas, and it ended up getting him cut from the Browns. And yet, in the documentary, it's like ten seconds. Like, yeah, he went to Vegas and they cut him. Like, what? <laughs> that's that's the story. It's crazy. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge sports documentary fan, but I think that there's there's good and there's bad, and a couple of them lately have been pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Oscar? It's, it's interesting because I've heard all these things that you're referring to of all the negative things. I've heard so many of them from so many people. Um, the couple times I've dealt with him, he's been fairly nice. But um, it's you know when you when you meet somebody and you know all these stories, it's kind of what you're seeing, right? You're like, okay, yeah, I'm expecting this, uh, you know, a lot of this awfulness here. But uh, it also seems like a lot of his issues have been substance related, and uh, you know when he's just kind of going about his day, he's kind of normal. Yeah. Um, by the way, real quick, I was going to ask you, I saw something, uh, somebody was, you know, C- Conor McGregor's, I don't know what's going on with this dude. He keeps pretending like he's going to fight a bunch of people. And then somebody had come out, I don't know who it was, was like, I don't think he's going to fight anybody. I think he's having a hard time walking away. But in the end, um, I don't know if he's ever going to get in the ring. Um, he, he's flirting with all these fights. What do you think? So it's, it's interesting. I, I do think he's going to maybe try to fight at some point. Um, I think he's trying to pick an opponent that he actually has a chance to beat, which actually is not that many people right now. Uh, he's got to kind of find his way to a way to fight down uh, in level of competition. But when you're Conor McGregor, it's tough to do that because everybody's expecting these massive fights all the time. Um, there is a big issue, though, that I, I know a lot of people in the sport know and the, a lot of people that are kind of outside aren't necessarily familiar with. But he's, he's been retired, which means he's out of the random drug testing pool with good reason. He would fail every test he takes, most likely. Um, so he has to enter it. He has to declare that he's coming back, enter the drug testing pool for six full months of random testing before he can compete again. And he has not entered that pool. Now, that's, the, that's a very interesting angle to this. I think the kind of gross angle is that if he wanted to come back and say, I'm going to fight next month, I think the UFC would find a way to circumvent that uh, that rule and allow it. Maybe fighting somewhere else in a, in a foreign country, or else just declaring that the rule doesn't apply to him, which would really, really, really call into question everything about their drug testing program if they did that. Um, but I think they will. And Dana White has even kind of said, like, "Hey, Connor has his own rules." So um, that would be fascinating to watch and, and how that would kind of play out and how other fighters might approach it. I mean, I know you, you know, you're. You're a legal guy, Dan. Like, how would other fighters say, like, wait, I've been subject to these rules. He's supposed to be subject to these rules. Why is it different? And I think that would be an interesting challenge as well. Well, generally, I just know generally this is how employment law works. Generally, um, employers can do whatever they want. They can dis- they can discriminate as long as they're not discriminating against a protected class. However, when they put policies in place, they do have to apply the policies evenly. So that's why they have handbooks. And then if they have a policy and a handbook or whatever, they do have to follow that. So uh, that would be a, a bit problematic, but I don't know. Well, independent contractors also. So I think that's always their, that's always their claim, ah. uh, which would be, uh, would be fascinating, but it would be, it would be interesting to see some of these people that have had their livelihoods taken away by failing drug tests, uh, who then looked at somebody who, you know, doesn't, the rules don't apply to him, which would be, I think intriguing, and I think some people would get upset, and others would say, shut up, I just want to see a fight. So yeah. I think that's that's where most people will be. Interesting. All right, so Josh Jacobs, riding in, um, got a deal done, a one-year deal. You think he's going to be in prime shape in time to play the Broncos? 
Yeah, I think he's in staying in shape. And like he's he's a running back, and I'm not to, I'm not diminishing the position like everybody uh, around the league seems to do. But you know, he was a running back. I think as long as he's in, um, you know, in shape, which I think he has been staying in shape and running and doing all those things, uh, he should be able to you know to to get into game shape fairly quickly and uh, get his fair share of carries. I don't know if that means. Uh, you know, 30 carries a game like he was doing last year right off the bat. But uh, I think he'll have a very significant portion of the workload and uh, they'll plug him right in. And look, there's no reason not to. I don't think anybody believes uh, this is a, you know, a deal that's going to keep around. And obviously it's a one-year contract, but, and they have the option to tag him again next year, which would get ugly. Uh, But I think it's, it's almost the Raiders saying, all right, look, you're here for one year. You're not going to be here beyond this. We're probably not going to get a long-term deal done. So, Let's just beat you into the ground, and that's kind of what teams have done with running backs near the end of their contracts. And I expect them to to really, really use him uh, as a workhorse like he was last year. They might try to get Zamir White a couple more carries here and there, and um, at least get him worked into the offense. But I think for the most part, the plan is uh, Josh Jacobs early, Josh Jacobs late. All right. So what's going on with the Raiders? Um, a lot of people are saying, "Well, the Raiders aren't going to be very good." We are just kind of expecting them to be the dwellers of the AFC West. We had our good friend Steve Cofield on a couple weeks ago. And, uh, Why? Yeah, well, we figured you weren't available. But uh, <laughs> uh, we had Steve Cofield on, and he, he, was, he wouldn't give us an answer on this. Um, he's like, well, some people say this, and some people say this. I said, well, what do you say, Steve? I'll tell you what he predicted after you give us your prediction for the, for the week one. I'll give you Steve's prediction. Um, uh, for week one? Yeah, I, I think the Broncos win. I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I think that they have a pretty good roster. Now I don't know who's going to play with wide receiver. I think it might be you at yes. this point for yeah. Week One. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a problem. Uh. But I, I you know, look, I, I, I believe in Sean Payton. Uh, I think he's a really good coach. I think he's uh, going to get things turned around very quickly. I think. Uh, there's going to be a lot of improvements. I think at least putting Russell Wilson in the right positions to try to succeed. Um, I think that they're going to be pretty good. Now, you know, there's always, there's always the chance. The thing the Raiders have is that they're at the positions where you're supposed to be really good. They're pretty good. I mean, they, they've got the pass rush, Max Crosby elite. Obviously Chandler Jones is pretty good. They've run in Tyree Wilson, which I don't know what his status is going to be for week one, but uh, they've got some depth and real talent in the defensive, uh, in the, you know, the rush ends so they can get to the quarterback. They've run in playmakers in the secondary, including Marcus Peters, and you've got to be good there, and I think they're going to be improved there. And you've got an elite wide receiver in Darren Waller. Like, those are the positions that you really need to thrive, and I think Garoppolo, you know, will be pretty good. I think he's going to look good, short and intermediate. He's going to look good with the deep ball. So um, they're, they're strong at the position you're supposed to be strong in. Uh, so, so they've got a fighting chance. I just don't think they have enough everywhere else uh, to really, you know, compete long term in this division. Uh, but, you know, week one with the Broncos trying to figure things out and the injuries that they have, and uh, the Raiders have a chance to get, get in a beat up. But I, I, I think if you're asking me today who's going to win, I think it's the Broncos. And the Raiders start off with three games against pretty good teams on the road, uh, and then one home game sandwiched in, in between. But they could easily be one and three or zero and four after four weeks. Did you see that Mike Tannenbaum, who I don't have a ton of respect for as a GM, but he came out and said he, th- he thinks that uh, the first sign of trouble um, that Russell Wilson's going to get benched? Well, look, I, I did think, you know, it was kind of a big story around here when Jared Stidham decided to go to Denver instead of coming to Vegas. 
instead of returning to Vegas. And that's a guy who started near the end of last year, had done really well in the system, and a lot of people thought, like, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy that, let's face it, gets hurt quite a bit. Uh, if you stay in Vegas, you'll have every opportunity to jump in there and be the starter again. And it was very interesting that he decided not to do that and instead go to Denver. And a lot of people around here speculated that, hey, he was told there's a chance. Like It's not it's not a job that's locked down forever. Like, there is a chance to play there, and, and that's something he wants to do. He wants to play. He wants to be a starter. That's why it was surprising he accepted uh, being a backup there in Denver. And, you know, we'll see. If if, 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 that, if he was told that there's a chance and that there's, you know, no guarantees that Russell Wilson is the quarterback at the end of the year, uh, that would be fascinating. I was giving Cofield a hard time. I'm like, what are you guys trying to pull? Giving us these damaged goods and Jared Stenham because he's been terrible. Like, he has not been good here, man. He's been, like, just at points – Awful, like Ben DiNucci, for, you know, objective eyes, is just better as far as the quarterback play here in camp. Well, he's a gamer. Oh, he's a gamer. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, You've gotten, you know, several seasons worth of, uh, or at least a couple, right, of of Coach Josh McDaniels. Do you like him? Not like him? Are you a McDaniels guy? Well, I know most of Denver is McDaniels people, right? I think he's a pretty popular guy there. Oh, yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, I, I just – it's it's a, it's a tough question. <laughs> like, I don't I don't dislike him. Um, I don't – I think he has a very hard time figuring out who he's supposed to be when the cameras are on. And I know a couple of people like that. One of them used to be the quarterback here, um, where you – can sit around and have a normal conversation and think like, wow, this is a, a normal, good dude. And then you turn the microphone on and they just start you know, saying things. And you're like, don't, that's not true. Why are you saying that? What? Do you, what is, I don't understand this. Like, I think he has a tough time figuring out what he's supposed to do. And I think a lot of that comes from the Patriots and that you're supposed to be, you know, not saying anything and you're supposed to hide everything and have an adversarial relationship with everyone. And um, I think that's part of, part of what he's still trying to figure out. And I thought by this point, he probably would figure it out and, Maybe if this season goes on, he will. But I do think that's a constant battle for him. That it's 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 tough to see uh, now in terms of just on the field. You know, obviously the results were not good last year, but I also didn't think the team was that good going into the year. So I didn't really put as much blame on him as a lot of people did, saying, "Hey, this was a playoff team that took a step back." Um, I didn't think they were a legitimate playoff team the year before. Uh, and last year they did; they were just kind of the same. So they just weren't very good, and I don't think they're going to be that much better this year. But um, I also don't know that that's necessarily 100% on him. I just don't think the talent is that great at all the positions. All right, this is a very important question. Um, if a party you go to, a kid's birthday party, and I know you go to a lot of these, I'm sure, Adam. Sure. In, in Las Vegas. Uh, if you go to a kid's birthday party at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, is it your responsibility to furnish people food? If you're hosting the kid's party? Yeah. Now, right off the bat, I'm saying that whoever this person is, no accusations, so specifically set 3 o'clock, hoping that that meant that it's between lunch and dinner and they don't have to furnish food. Correct. Yeah, I think that's that's the plan. And so I don't like that right off the bat. That's just <laughs> intentionally trying to avoid responsibilities as a party host. Uh, so I don't like that. Uh, but I will say, I feel like at any sort of any sort of party or gathering that you're hosting, 
I feel like it is your responsibility to at least have food available. It, that doesn't have to be a full meal necessarily, but there, there's got to be some sort of food plan in place. Outside of cake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, see, that was... Uh, now, now you're leaving people confused, right? You're like... Oh, we're having a party at three. You're like, okay, I guess we have to eat lunch at twelve. <laughs> so I can eat there, and then we can then we can have dinner at six after the party's over. Like you now, you're now you're planning your whole day around somebody that's just trying to avoid feeding you. <laughs> so that's what my wife did. She said, "We're just going to do the party at three. That way, we don't have to worry about cooking." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, people are going to yeah. want to eat something." So I think I'm I think I'm going to do burgers or something. You know, yeah, yeah. fire up the easy. charcoal grill. Easy, easy food. Yeah, you like that anyway, so just just do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for your perspective, Mr. Hill. Uh, thank you for calling for the uh, Broncos' victory in Week One. Even with what's uh, what's Adam, Devontae Adams' deal? What is his deal? He's he's fine. He's good to go. He's going to be healthy and everything. I thought he was banged up. Yeah, he's, or... Nah, he's, he he twisted his leg a little bit, but he's fine. Uh, also, I will be flying in at six forty-five a.m. the day of the game from. Uh, Detroit, where I'll be covering UNLV, Michigan. So it's going to be a very, very quick trip into Denver this year. Oh, very nice, very nice. Uh, well, if you need anything, just let me know. For sure. I'll come over at 3 o'clock for a <laughs> meal. <laughs> there you go. Adam Hill, we appreciate you. Adam Hill from uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal. I'll come over at 3 o'clock for a meal. Uh, I love it. Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal and ESPN Radio um, in Las Vegas. You want to react to anything he said? He says the Broncos... Both of our experts from uh, Las Vegas uh, calling for a Broncos win week one. That's got to be a good omen. That's got to be a good sign. Huh? You want to react? Your chance. Coming up next. All right. So I wanted to get to this. DenverSports.com, Jake Shapiro writes. Since leaving his post leading the Miami Dolphins and New York Jets, Mike Tannenbaum hasn't been scared to share a wild take or two. But the NFL analyst for ESPN has also been way ahead with some of his thoughts. Where his take on the Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson, lies will only be told with time. But it's worth sharing. So here's what he said about Russell Wilson. I would be shocked if Russell Wilson was the starter for 17 games this season. And here's why. The conversations that Sean Payton is having with ownership is year one is about culture and accountability. It's Bill Parcells' approach. And he's going to see Russell Wilson as an opportunity to hold players accountable. And when there's a bump in the road, Green, what's going to happen is He's really talking to Jerry Judy, Garrett Bowles, the young nucleus of this team to say the standard is the standard. And if I bench Russell Wilson, I can bench you. And I know the way Sean thinks that he I'm just telling you, if Russell Wilson has the smallest bump in the road, he will be benched. And Sean's going to look at it as an opportunity to set the culture and the standard moving forward. Um, Thank you. You're wrong. Mike Tannenbaum. Now, I could see, could Russell Wilson be benched? He could if he doesn't play well enough. Just like last year, I think Russell Wilson was close to getting benched because he was that bad. Like, none of us could, like, it was unfathomable that Russell Wilson could have been benched. If you would ask this at the beginning of the year, we'd be like, no, there's absolutely no scenario in which Russell Wilson could have been benched. So, 
And it, there were times last year where we were like, dude, I think he needs to be benched, even though we had, like, absolutely nothing behind him, right? Like, literally all we had was, um, oh, God, what's his name? The, the backup, the, the, you know, the his nephew, the, the kid, Rippin. Yeah. Even though all we had was Rippin behind him. But it was like, dude, I think we need to play Rippin. So, yes, is it a possibility if he just doesn't play well? Yeah, you have to admit it's a possibility, but the way Tannenbaum's talking about it, at the first bump in the road, no. There are going to be bumps in the road. Because this team is not going to be one of the best teams in the AFC. We're seeing already some cracks in the armor. They don't, particularly offensively. Okay, and again, I don't want to panic. You know, it almost seems like in the last week, like the media is all of a sudden turned on the Broncos. Like all of a sudden, like like I listened to the fan yesterday. It's like, what are they just, it's like a fire sale. Get rid of Garrett Bowles. Like they don't think the Broncos are going to win any games. Like they're just as bad as they've ever, ever been. I thought, listen to some before, Sean Payton was going to come in and he's worth, just a coach alone is worth seven wins, isn't he? But you, no, go ahead. Uh, so with uh, the Judy injury, do you think that this is going to give Russ another pass too? Do you think it'll be another thing? Well, he didn't have these weapons. Uh, you know, it's a combination of the offensive line. Bulls didn't play up to his no. potential. And then, oh, he doesn't have Judy, you know. No, no, because he has few yeah. weeks. No, I mean, I'm, I'm saying for the first few weeks because you because what he mentioned was the first sign of trouble. Yeah, which no, would be not him not having his receivers. Um, only if Sean Payton want oh, the only person that can give him a pass is Sean Payton because Russ has nobody left that's going to give him a pass. Nobody in the media is going to give him a pass. I mean, I think legitimately, if we're being fair, it's a legitimate reason why this team may not be as good as they could have been. Right? Like if Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy are not playing, of course. Now, is that it's like James Merlot says. Is that a failure on the part of Sean Payton and George Payton to not have addressed it? But they should have addressed that a long time ago. Like the fact that they were legitimately going to go into this season with those guys as their options to begin with, that Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick were going to be your guys to begin with? Who they were not good enough to begin with. They weren't. They aren't elite level NFL talent to start with. They've been part of the problem to begin with, and so these guys that have injury history that aren't good enough to begin with. The fact that you have overvalued your bad assets to start—that's part of the problem to begin with. That. A guy in Tim Patrick, who's not in a... Listen, we all love Tim Patrick. He's a feel-good story on the roster. We all wanted it to go well for him. But is it smart to depend on a guy that's coming back from a serious injury? That he's part of your plan? 
No, that was never smart. And that Jerry Judy, has, for all of his faults, he was like, oh, we're going to depend on a guy that up till now was a bust, but no, we think it's going to be different because why? Oh, even though he does have an injury history, he's not going to get injured this year. And I'm telling you, dude, what happened two years ago? He hurt his ankle. And he had a terrible year, and that was the excuse. Right? Oh, wow, that ankle, it just really, you never really got healthy. Just never really got quite right. Well, what do you think the deal is with a hamstring for a guy that has to rely? Like, that's his weapon, right? His speed and his quickness and his, you know, maneuvering around the field. You always tweak your hamstrings, man. Once your hamstring is an issue, and and guys that have had hamstring issues, if you've had one, they suck, man. Like you just, it it is the most, it's one of the most frustrating injuries in the world because you think you're good and then you just, you just, you stretch out and then you go and just like, boom, there it's there. You're like, God dang it, man. How do I get around it? And you think it's any easier for Jerry Judy when he has to go full speed and then then it's just, boom, it's just there. Well, and when you're talking about injury history, too, I know Tim Patrick had his ACL. You know, he had his ACL last year. But you talk about when he's had any significant amount of playing time, he was injured, too. In college, you know, in college, his last year, he missed about half the season because of an injury. And up until he started to play more, he was not injured. But once he started to play more often... He was injured, and he has a history of that if you go back to his college days. So you go back, you say George Payton, you know, I know that wasn't his pick, but where do you see that in the evaluation process that when you see that this guy plays more, he gets injured more often? Where does that come in? And then the third guy is Cortland Sutton, who up until the start of this camp hadn't looked right either because of what? Injury. Now, in fairness to him, up until... Like the first, actually, the first couple of weeks of camp, he looked great. Uh, I haven't seen him the last couple of weeks. I know he was a complete non-factor in the last week's game, and I really, I haven't heard a peep out of him about. Now, I just want to be fair to him. I don't know. I haven't heard anybody talking about him on you know as far as practices. Have you? Colin, like uh, no, just I mean Cecil. Besides Cecil saying that he looks great, I mean recently, like the last week or two. No, I not in the last week or two. It's been okay. the same. It's nothing new. It's okay. just been the same. So he I looks mean, better than he has in the past. Like, I, so I don't know how he's looked the last week or two. Is what I'm saying. I the first couple of weeks I saw it with my own eyes. He looked good up except for last week's game. Nothing. Him or Judy, nothing. So my my point is the fact that they were the plan to begin with was a problem. That's a Sean Payton and George Payton problem because they picked the players. And I know they tried to trade Corlin Sutton, but again, that's a George Payton problem. You gave him all that money. But, um, so so that was the problem. But to, to go back to answer your original question, no, like nobody's given, the only person that may give Russell Wilson a pass is Sean Payton, because, and I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why this is really not a realistic possibility. What what Mike Tannenbaum is saying, 
is a is not really a possibility. I will go into that on the other side.